to If the Walls Could Talk, a series of conversations about smart buildings, connecting key thinkers in the property industry with each other and with you. I'm Jules Barker, Global Director of Product at WideScore, the certification company dedicated to making the world's buildings smarter and better connected. Our final topic of this series has been about sustainability. We've had some excellent contributions from the likes of Doug Stewart from Cushman and Wakefield, Brendan Wallace, co-founder of Fifth Wall, and Jeff Vittorio, VP of Property Management at Columbia Property Trust. I'm delighted to be joined by two of my colleagues to discuss what we heard. Welcome then to Ari Barendrecht, our founder and chief executive, and Charlotte Mira, our finance director. Clearly making our planet more sustainable for us and our children is something that matters to everyone. But why, Charlotte, do you think it's particularly important for the real estate industry? I think we need to recognise that we are a big part of the problem, but real estate can also be a huge part of the solution. So within the way we operate buildings to how we build, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit that we can address to, to start making improvements. And what do you think some of that low-hanging fruit is? I mean, we've we heard some brilliant conversations. Were there any highlights for you, Ari, from what we heard? I mean, I think first and foremost, it's acknowledging that uh, the climate crisis is the responsibility of the real estate community to tackle. Um, and it's not just about saving our planet. It's There's other reasons why commercial real estate uh, really needs to care about this. We heard about kind of consumer preference and, and the expectation that now and in the future, um, people renting space are going to vote with their feet and are going to move into buildings that are reducing their carbon emissions. Uh, there's ability to get the best capital. You know, um, Brendan talked about kind of preferential capital deployment to no or low carbon real estate. And so it's just going to be better kind of economic business to be pursuing uh, carbon reduction strategies. And then, of course, there's government regulation and a lot of things happening uh, across the world at the local and federal level, pushing the real estate community to caring about carbon reduction and taking action. How does SMART relate to this topic of sustainability? Charlotte, what's your thought? It's really a question of reducing the impact with smart buildings. How can we use these technologies um, and you know the opportunities we have there actively to, to reduce our impact on the environment? Smart buildings give us a way of enhancing the way we live in and interact with spaces, as well as achieving the additional benefits of you know, being more sustainable and um, increasing our well-being. I think the, well, the other thing that smart technology allows it, it is it allows you to achieve dual benefits in the outcomes, in the areas that we, WiredScore, think um, smart buildings should be delivering. And as a reminder, those things are about sustainability, operational efficiency, uh, inspirational user experience, and future-proofing your building and making sure that it can evolve over time. And what's amazing about smart technology is those things don't have to be in conflict. In fact, they're, they're often um, the same technology could help deliver all of those outcomes. And a great example of that is occupancy sensors connected into uh, HVAC system. You know, and, the, and the, we all know this example already, but the fact that when that connection happens, uh, we can increase airflow into spaces when there's high occupancy, when the space is full and we need better airflow in that space. And then ideally and critically, we can reduce airflow into that space when it's empty. One of the things in and what you just said, Ari, is that because there is choice in the outcomes you can drive with a smart building, necessarily, that means there's a trade-off that you could potentially make. And I thought one of the really interesting conversations uh, we had was about the trade-off between 
uh, focusing on immediate improvements and longer term improvements. So, for example, in setting your smart building strategy and your smart building outcomes, do you focus on driving reduced um, environmental impact today? And that's the kind of thing you were talking about, the heating systems. Or do you focus on gathering data and gathering information and, and laying the groundworks to improving things in the future? I think a simplistic answer, unfortunately, is that it's a dual track approach. You, you have to keep laying the, the tracks forward as you as you fix um, what's gone before. Uh, but all of these solutions have to be quite thoughtful. So achieving a reduction in energy consumption isn't really that helpful if then um, nothing changes six months later. When the season moves on or the sun rises at a different time of day, everything has to be quite dynamic. And I think the planning is incredibly important there, um, so it shouldn't be overlooked. And, and I th when I think about the benefits of uh, kind of the direct benefits of implementing smart technology versus the indirect benefits, I do think that kind of the direct reduction of carbon emissions specifically to meet regulatory requirements is ultimately the thing that will get the entirety of the industry to take action and to operate more sustainably. I suppose it comes down to some of the conversations uh, we heard in this series on, on some of the challenges and particularly what, what are the practical obstacles in, in, in the way of actually achieving this? What springs to mind to you, Ari? What, what are the biggest obstacles? It's a challenging journey to get started on because the industry doesn't totally know where they're headed. Um, and SmartScore provides that framework, and that's why we've seen you know 50 plus real estate companies uh, adopt the framework and use that for their planning process. I also think, quite practically, most landlords don't know what's in their building. They don't know their the kind of starting point from a tech infrastructure perspective. You know, these are buildings that have kind of slowly evolved over time, and new system X or new system Y gets gets implemented. Sometimes those systems work together. Sometimes they don't. And it's hard to understand what your baseline is. I actually come back to Ari's comment earlier about the shift in mentality um, being a huge thing, because now the time horizons are so much longer. We're not talking about annual budgeting and getting something into next year's plan. This is a huge investment over a potentially very dispersed portfolio for the long term. So that's less of a practical challenge and more of a, a shift in, in mentality that's required. We obviously have spoken to, to three people who work at three different companies who each in their own way are, are doing some amazing things around uh, deploying capital into technology in, in real estate. But what are the other highlights um, as opposed to lowlights that, that, that you'd call out uh, Ari or Charlotte in terms of people doing this really well? We talk a lot about uh, a building having kind of three layers of technology, infrastructure, you know, the, the, the building wide network that's connecting systems, a, a platform, a place where data from the systems can be pulled together and analyzed and software that allows the building operations team or tenants alike to kind of interface with those systems and, and smart features of the building to optimize. And so I think that the best landlords are they, they have they have that connected system environment and they have access to the data in the way that Doug and Jeff described to start making better decisions. I mean, I think that's today what kind of separates the people doing smart well uh, and the people that are falling behind the curve. Charlotte, what about you? Any other highlights that you'd pick out people you've seen doing this particularly well? I think success comes in, uh, as Doug put it, I think making the data consumable. So buildings can provide a huge amount of information, but if we're not um, structuring it and presenting it in a way that can lead to, to good decisions,
and turn that vision that's been set into a roadmap with milestones and successes along the way. Um, it's not terribly helpful. Uh, so I think, as, as Doug described, it was really helpful. And I found it quite an interesting analogy for financial information. That's what we need to do to make good decisions as um, management teams. So the same must apply with the data about our buildings. One of the other things I, I thought would be interesting for us to talk about is the balance between making incremental changes versus huge big bang changes. I think we had a few different perspectives about that, but, but what's your view on which one you should prioritize? There's a need for um, foundations, and those foundations probably look more um, like big bang changes than incremental changes, technological foundations for a building. Um, the good news is a lot of buildings have some or most of these, but but not all. And, and the types of tech, tech foundations I'm talking about are things that we evaluate through SmartScore as well, um, you know, robust digital connectivity throughout the building, um, building systems that are connected into kind of one master integrated network, uh, and governance. And this is something we, we often don't always think about first when we're thinking about a smart building, but uh, the, the kind of leading smart buildings have policies and protocols around cybersecurity and data sharing, and those things can't be afterthoughts. Those are foundational elements to build upon um, as you're creating a building that, that operates uh, in, in a smart way. And then once you have those foundations, then I think it's about incremental change. It's like putting together a puzzle. Um, and this can be done incrementally over time, as well as all of the systems kind of work together and, and fuse together in the way that um, you know, is holistically planned up front. I think we should be honest that creating a really good smart building is hard. You could expend a huge amount of time and effort um, focusing on one massive change, but be actually better spend your time delivering a load of small changes that give you a little bit more sustainability, a little bit more experiential outcomes, and a little bit more data that means you can then feed and, and growing more by more, you, you learn more and more about the building to improve it. I think lots of stuff happening in the world will mean that many buildings have to engage with what feel like really big bang changes. So um, employees' attitudes to where they're working, um, consumer awareness of climate change, as well as regulatory requirements. So we do have to come to a level of acceptance of discomfort when, when it comes to these big bang changes. But I agree with, with you both that these need to be followed up or um, even get the ball rolling with small incremental things that um, just slightly enhance aspects that could grow much, much bigger. That's an amazing point, Charlotte, and I hadn't really thought about that, but maybe I should have asked the question differently then, which is even if big bang changes are really hard and even if a load of incremental changes could, could, uh, could still be powerful, do we have the time, do we have the luxury to be able to afford to make incremental changes or do we just need to make big bang changes and make them now? Well, I think certain real estate communities that's happening here in New York City are saying that we don't have the time to make the changes necessary, which is why uh, there's a lot of debate and pushback at the moment around things like Local Law 97, which is our kind of, kind of carbon emission reduction targets enacted by uh, New York City government. I think people are now feeling the the pressure that action needs to be taken now, which is what the which is what our local governments are trying to create um, as well. It's it's hard for for anyone to say like 
how much time is the right amount of time to get to 50% carbon reduction, um, for example. Um, but we need to get moving, I think is the main point, and I agree with our regulatory bodies around that. Charlotte, what, from your perspective, what other extraneous elements does the real estate industry need to uh, achieve good sustainability outcomes? I think there's an opportunity to share um, information more readily and openly. Maybe we don't know how to do that yet, uh, but as uh, we learn to comply with regulatory change or drive regulatory change, frankly, in certain jurisdictions, those learnings should be taken, shared and used to, to enhance regulation and best practice elsewhere. Um, that sounds like a real utopian view, but I think it's a great opportunity to, to share globally. I feel it probably shouldn't sound like a utopian view, but you're, you're right, it does. It doesn't seem too much to ask, does it, that real estate across the industry, we all start working together a little bit more, start speaking the same languages and start sharing a bit more data to, to enable us to pull together. I agree. And I think the one other thing which, which Brennan talked about, um, I think with a lot of enthusiasm, and he has a front row seat to this as one of the people driving this evolution, is we need better products faster. We need better technology that's easier to implement into our buildings. And I think it's a really positive story when you look at you know venture capital and private equity raised to tackle climate change and the size of, of the climate tech funds that are being created, um, like Fifth Walls, which is, which is really super exciting because it means that uh, in Fifth Wall's case, a lot of, of real estate organizations are, are putting capital towards this. They're directly investing in R&D in the way that they kind of haven't in years prior. And uh, I, for one, am quite optimistic about what those investments uh, will drive and the innovation that those investments will create as we have more capital to create better products. Yes, Ari, that's a really interesting point. I think that intersect between technology and real estate is one that's been difficult for uh, a long time. It felt to me like for many years, we've had tech people who don't understand real estate creating technological products to sell to real estate people who don't understand tech. And the growth in that area where you've got people who really understand both, whether they're on the prop tech side or the buyer side in real estate companies is a really important and powerful area. I think probably though, that's all we've got time for now. So thank you, Ari and Charlotte for joining me. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. And if you like what you hear, you can subscribe to If the Walls Could Talk using your usual podcast provider. Thanks for listening.